This is the Prodane Podcast, hosted by Charlie Evans and Chris Harris, uniting minds across Britain. Hello, welcome to the Prodane Podcast. This is episode number five, I believe. We're bringing to you the weekly review, a review of the week's headlines in Wales and Britain. Um, I am joined uh, this evening by my co-host, Chris Harris, and our guest, who is I guess a bit like a, a fellow co-host now. This is second week running. Hugh Davis, how are we today, lads? Hi, thank you. How are you? Living the dream, Chris. You well? Yeah, very good. You? Fantastic. Um, so we've got lots of ground uh, to cover today, um, but we're going to really just kind of start off with the uh, the news today of the um, of the Essex uh, lorry deaths. Um, Roman Ronan Hughes um, today, um, who's the, the criminal on this, has admitted manslaughter after the deaths of 39 Vietnamese migrants were found in a lorry container in Essex last October. Uh, a second man, Eamon Harrison, um, also from, they're both from Northern Ireland, has denied 39 charges of manslaughter. But it's just brought into news again the, you know, it's yet another story relating to the latest, I guess, uh, migrant crisis. Chris, what do you think of this story? I think this highlights the very real dangers of illegal immigration. Um, 39 people um, froze and suffocated to death in the back of a refrigerated lorry. Um, and it is, this happened back in October, but this video or the sort of plea today is following on from the death of someone drowning in the channel only a few days ago. And it highlights the very real perils behind those, those journeys. And it highlights really that we should be doing everything we can to stamp out illegal immigration. And it's not just because it's illegal immigration, but also because of the very real f- risks and threats to those who undertake the journeys. And so we need to try to look at these cases realize that this is completely abhorrent in modern society that someone would drown trying to cross the channel or people would freeze to death in the back of a lorry and so we need to really understand the trade we need to put a stop to it to make sure that other people don't suffer the same fate and that if they have legal grounds to be able to migrate that they go through the legal channels to actually migrate to this country rather than risk their life on what is ultimately a, a very futile journey that ends only in tragedy. Um, so there was a some Kent ref. So obviously, um, in recent days, you referenced it, the death of the 16-year-old Sudanese migrant whose body was found on the uh, British uh, on a French beach, I should say. Um, there was a comment that was made by a lady from Kent Refugee Action Network, Bridget Chapman. She said that the death was completely unavoid- was completely avoidable if the government had listened to calls for safe passage. Hugh, do you think the UK government should be doing more to offer safe passage to people who seek to make these crossings? Well, well it depends what they mean by safe passage. I mean, I, I do believe, as what Chris has said, that we do need to tackle the issue of illegal immigration. Um, but we also need to ensure that we do it in a way which our rhetoric doesn't get out of control and starts to demean people. I think that overall, um, you know, as we leave the European Union now, we are ensuring that we are making a new immigration system for the United Kingdom. 
And I think that we do need to ensure that we tackle this because it is, it is, a, it is a massive problem, particularly for those who live in um, uh, Kent and the surrounding counties. And to ensure that we don't, we no longer see the scenes that we see on a day, on a regular daily basis now of people coming across in dinghies um, over the over the English Channel. So we do need to find safe passage, yes, but they have to have reasons to come here safely and properly. And in my in my view. And Hugh, you talked about the rhetoric, then some of the language of all that. Mm. Um, you know, for for example, I'm just going to ask put a question here. Nigel Farage often uses the language of um, invasion when he's reporting. Do you think that goes too far, or do you think that is within the realms of uh, obviously everything? Everything is within political debate. Do you, but do you think that is a acceptable rhetoric within with this debate um i would have to say no i don't think that is acceptable at all um you know i don't know how on earth you call that an invasion um it's overinflated language uh for people who are coming to britain illegally yes but i don't think that that kind of um needs to have that sort of term it, it, it it's a it's a term to whip up uh popular support i think Chris, and i don't I, I, what do you think? I think it's below the mark I don't think there's the need for intemperate language. Um, I know we talked last week, and we also talked about intemperate language. Um, some of the figures released by the ONS la uh, this week have actually shown that net immigration to the UK has risen by 87,000 to 313,000 people. Um, well, 300. Is that legal migration? That's legal migration. So legal migration. the number is now over 300,000 people come legally to the UK now. And so it shows that there is the means for people to come into the UK. Now, I do think there is an argument to control immigration, um, to restrict migration. Um, but at the same time, we should be clamping down on illegal immigration because ultimately it puts many vulnerable people into the hands of criminals who don't really have any concern to whether these people make it to the UK or not. All they care about is the money, um, the payment for passage, the place on the boat, and ultimately those vulnerable people are, are then exposed to huge risks. Uh, as the person who drowned, I know, Charlie, you said they were 16, travel documents found on them um, indicate that they were actually 28. Um, but we shouldn't really quibble just about the age. I think that the real issue is the, the danger that these people have been exposed to. Um, and really, if, if we don't do something to target this trade and to highlight that if they have legal grounds to come to the UK, they should go down the legal avenue why, rather than hide in the back of a lorry or, or sneak into the UK I, in a boat. Okay, let's move I, I mean, on. Let's move on. Um, so Bethan Syed, um, formerly Bethan Jenkins, who was elected um, um, in Senate in 2007, applied Cymru, um, has announced today that she won't be, and that was when she was about 25, I think it was, has announced today that she won't be uh, standing again uh, in next year's election, um, citing kind of uh, family reasons, wanting to spend time with her, um, her daughter, or rather her son, Idris is the name. Is Idris a son? Is Idris a son? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Idris is a son, just to clarify. Um, to spend time with um, her family, she has cited kind of it's almost impossible to be 
um, to play both full-time politician as well as uh, full-time mum. Uh, and and as kind of on her way out was just kind of highlighting the the intemperate tone of our of of our um, online kind of discussion and debate. Uh, Hugh, what do you think of the news today? Oh, it's obviously very sad to see uh, still a relatively young woman leading politics, who I think has probably still got a lot more to give, despite her politics probably not being the same as mine. Um, I think that the issues she's raised are fair. Um, I think generally in the workplace there are still issues around working mothers. Mm. And, I mean, we've now thankfully got um, paternity leave, uh, for fathers to go out uh, to leave work and look after their kids while uh, their mother uh, can return to work. Um, so I think we're going in the right direction. But I think the proposals put forward by the Assembly Commission at the time, or I think uh, Laura McAllister, talking about job shares, I don't see how that could work in the long term. Um, I think it would overcomplicate the already complex system of, of elections we have in Wales, or complex the electors anyway. Um, I I just think that you know it's 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 one of the problems of which you just have to deal with. Um, I'm sure there are things which the assembly could do to improve um, the settlement, which um, parents when they leave to go on their paternity or maternity leave. Uh, but I I don't think the option she gave is realistic. Okay, Chris. Uh, I think there's a couple of elements to this now. I've got every sympathy for someone struggling with childcare and trying to balance their job with it um, and reconcile that. But ultimately, we have to remember AMs are in a slightly more privileged position than the ordinary member of the public. And I say that on the basis that it's a different sort of job to the ordinary nine to five. And when I say that is effectively AMs are their own boss. So ultimately they decide how much or how little they choose to do in the, the assembly. Mm-hmm. Added to which they are actually paid um, just under £70,000 a year. So they, they do have the means to pay for child care. Uh, mm-hmm. And they have the extra allowance then uh, towards that as well. I know it's um, some paltry amount um, in the grand scheme of things, but there is money made available for childcare um, outside of normal working hours. I think, really, we do have to question whether we want the Assembly and the Parliament to accommodate people from different walks of life and different life. And really, that may encounter the thing of maybe they should have uh, a crash facility at uh, the Welsh Parliament. Mm. Um, that, which they, which I would, which I think they should pay for. I don't think they should get free childcare. Yeah, yeah. I, a lot I, of, don't, yeah. I don't believe that they should get free childcare, but I do think that there should be the provision in place to facilitate um, somebody um, putting their children in there to uh, allow mm. them to fulfil their duties. Um, I think there are ways to work around the sort of whether it's peering so that um, another elected official could vote on their behalf while they're on maternity leave, etc. I agree with you. There are, there are problems with the idea of a locum assembly member. I, I think that it creates a sort of added level of uh, sort of complexity that's not needed. But I do have sympathy for him for being in a p- position where she effectively gives up 
who political ambitions for now. Uh, mm. And she's made a choice that her family is more important than her political career at the moment. So I, I do have sympathy in that regard. Uh, oh, my, uh, I am reflection. I think, um, you know, I think Bethan um, Syed is, was probably one of the more, more articulate members of the Senate, actually. And, um, you know, and um, I you know, certainly I don't agree with her politics either, really, overall. But um, she certainly um, improved the uh, political debate of the Welsh Parliament. Um, but what I would say on the online debate sort of thing, um, every movement has got its problem with online trolls and so on and so forth. But I do think that Welsh nationalism in particular, well, Scottish nationalism or cyber nationalism does have a unique problem, actually, when it comes to um, trolling. Um, and and actually, it would I would like personally to see more action or direct kind of condemnation, I guess, from that side of politics against the trolls and against the trolling, against the abuse. Um, so it's, it's one thing to say, you know, look, the online tone and debate isn't great. It isn't, I agree. Um, but that does disproportionately, in my opinion, come from the kind of the cyber nationalist side of online politics. I don't know if any of you, if any of you think, if you agree. Oh, I'd, 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 I'd agree with you there, yes. I mean, thankfully, uh, Twitter is in Britain to use the phrase by David Cameron. Um, if it was, um, well, Wales would be would have been independent several hundred years ago, um, quite frankly. It's, um, yeah, it, it's vile in many respects. I mean, I, I remember mentioning last week uh, the case of Sir Atherton, uh, where a gang of gnats in uh, Wrexham and across Wales, for example, and even in Scotland, questioning whether she was... Uh, working in Rex and Miller Hospital because she wasn't putting pictures up of uh, working <laughs> there. Um, you, you know, it, it's uh, you know, conspiracy, conspiracy theories and things like that. It, you know, it's just not acceptable, really. Um, thankfully, it isn't representative of the entirety of, of uh, the country at large. Um, but I do think that it does need addressing, particularly when they support a particular political party. Definitely. On the um, Plaid Cymru theme, then, I guess. So they have come out today asking for a, a televised debate um, um, on coronavirus, um, which is quite interesting. Maybe it's down to the lack of you know, coverage on the election. Chris, do you think this is an attempt of Adam Price thinking that, you know, the, you know Plaid Cymru haven't had much of a look in this um, in the last four months or so due to, um, you know, the Conservatives running London and... Labour running Wales. Do you think this is just an attempt for Adam Price and Plaid Cymru to be relevant? I'm not sure it's to do with being relevant, but I think it's to almost try to kickstart a general election campaign for next year. I think Adam Price is savvy enough to realise that traditional campaigning will be limited uh, because of coronavirus. It's unlikely the traditional campaign will be able to take place. And so I think He's looking for a debate for electoral purposes. I think he knows that if he gets up on the panel, he has the opportunity to raise his profile with the electorate um, ahead of the assembly elections next year. Or what I should say now is the Welsh Parliament elections um, to keep some of our listeners happy. So Can I think. You, what do you think? Uh, the, I don't actually see the point of it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, d debates are extraordinarily American 
Um, and I, I, I don't think we should have them in our in our party political um, debate. Um, you know, unfortunately, British politics is becoming personality personality politics, and that and that's not how our democracy is is was set up to be. Um, so I'm against debates in its entirety. Uh, to be honest with you. I, I um, sorry to cut across you there, Hugh. I think British politics has always been about personalities, but it is very one of the push for debates. We, we really should be mindful that we don't allow this push to have debate in the sort of TV studio when really the place for that debate is actually in the within the Senate building itself. And I, and I kind of I kind of agree with you there because it does give the sense that you know when people say when Boris Johnson last year oh he was he wasn't elected as prime minister because we said we seem to think that prime minister job of prime minister is a bit like president of the United States you're elected to it you're not um, the British Constitution doesn't work like that you don't elect a prime minister you elect a member of parliament or a, a member of, or an assembly member for example um, it, it's it's you know. I, I dislike it. I think we need to get rid of the whole thing, to be honest with you. Um, it's, it's, it's just not the best way to do politics, in my mind. We need to look at the policies, which really matter, rather than just the people fronting. Do you agree with you that there's a push to try and make um, the political system take it outside of the democratic chamber and instead operate on social media, the TV studio? Um, this week, we saw announcements that should have been made within the chamber being made to the mm -hmm. media. And do you mm -hmm. think that there's a push to try to remove a level of scrutiny and instead just embrace um, showbiz politics? Well, funny you say that. Yes, I do think there is, because I was watching a mini documentary on Tony Blair this week, just very quickly. And it was, it was showing how he used to evade Parliament uh, when he was making policy announcements ex and, and, you know, uh, regarding education and health. And if we are getting like this uh, with regards to the Assembly, I think that is wrong because it does need to be announced towards the Chamber to allow there to be scrutiny, to be allow there to be comment uh, from the leaders of the respective parties. Because if you don't have that scrutiny, you're not going to get good, very good laws. I mean, I know every single party in the Chamber has supported the Welsh Government's uh, in coronavirus regulations, but you still don't... well, not not uh, necessarily. I know originally they did, didn't they? But then they reversed the decision afterwards because they found them a little bit too over the top, which which is quite a you know um, debatable. Um, but you know there does need uh, to be that scrutiny there. Otherwise, what's the point of having it? Um, you know, we're not just you know it's not just there for to, to look sitting pretty it is there to do a job um and scrutiny is part of that job so yes i agree the my problem with this is that public debates or whether television press conferences they benefit executives they benefit prime ministers they benefit incumbents mm. they benefit first ministers education ministers i am concerned that there was um an emergency um plenary uh, of the um, of the senate following the exam scandal and relating to this um, topic of education, the Welsh Government chose not to make a statement on schools' face masks to that Senate that we're talking about education that day, but rather to the press. Now, I am concerned about the cushy nature between the press and the executive that 
they feel able to do that, but they feel that almost that there's a level of less scrutiny um, making a statement to the press as opposed to the legislature. Um, and that goes for the UK as well. You know, there's lots of talk about these number 10 press statements and so on and so forth. It doesn't allow effective scrutiny to take place. And um, so I am personally very concerned about this towards debates, public debates and statements. In many respects, Charlie, uh, you know, I remember during the Brexit uh, debates, you know, if, even if you didn't like John Burko, he did ensure uh, that the House of Commons did have a comment on Brexit legislation and did give its will. Um, I mean, that, that, you know, you may just dislike the man, but he did ensure that Parliament did have a say. And unfortunately, I have not seen this from the presiding officer in the uh, assembly building. You know, there has not been this flex of the muscle, to, you know, talking to, the, to having a, a good old direction publicly to Mark Drakeford saying this should have been announced uh, to us here, not to the, just the press in the briefing. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's up to the institution itself to flex its muscles and ensure the government does um, fully come open on what it's doing. Yeah. Um, just moving on then, finally, um, just conscious of time, um, we're going to talk about the Liberal Democrats. So um, Ed Davey, um, there's a lot of jokes about bar charts yesterday. Ed Davey kind of swept to victory yesterday, it felt like a long old campaign beating Leila Moran by a more significant majority than uh, we thought of. Chris, do you think that um, Ed Davey is the man to rejuvenate Liberal Democrat fortunes? Uh, time will tell on that front. I think he's got a challenge, which is he has to decide which direction the party goes with. Either they stay on their current sort of social democratic sort of approach and they will end up occupying the same space as Labour, uh, looking at the direction of travel and the Keir Starmer, or they go back to embracing their liberal route, which I think may not sit so well with some of their members and some of their MPs. I'm not sure that people like Leila Moran would actually like the description liberal in the true sense. Um, I think she fits more the sort of modern-day liberal, um, which is effectively a progressive um, advocating a form of socialism, uh, left-wing politics, really. Um, and looking at what was offered by both of them, it was not really an approach to liberal politics. It was very much big government. Um, Davy lost his seat after serving in the coalition. But um, the difference between them was effectively um, amounts of money, really. They both advocated UBI. Um, they both advocate um, addressing climate change with big investment into uh, green technology. Um, the difference was really about how much per week people would get under their form of UBI. So I think the challenge for Davy is, can he change direction to bring the Liberal Democrats um, back to a sort of fresh location that mm. presents them as sort of halfway between the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. I mean, it's interesting you say that, uh, Chris, on the Liberal, uh, on the literal sense, or what the Liberal Party used to be, or the Lib Dems nowadays. I mean, I, I mean Leila Moran, uh, when she was asked her favourite Liberal uh, Prime Minister, uh, said William Gladstone. And I thought, hmm, I doubt William Gladstone would actually be in the Lib Dems today if he was still alive. 
because the definition or what or what the liberalism, as you say, they espouse today is far different than it was in the 19th century. Yeah. Uh, in many respects, William Gladstone, I think, would probably be in the Tory party. Um, so I think the route back to Lib Dems is to, in my personal opinion, is to target uh, the seats in the southeast of England where the, where the Tories have uh, small majorities I mean, and try and be is, is it not that the less Labour. The problem is, is that, in my opinion, Davies is he's pretty boring. He's pretty dull. And I don't mean to get into personalities, but he doesn't strike me as someone. You know, he's been he's been acting leader now for some time, and he's just he's been inept. He's been a lot. He's been anonymous, um, and he's not really driven the liberal agenda. When I do believe there was an opportunity to do so, um, in a Welsh context, of course, we have Jane Dodds. Now she obviously lost a seat in Brecon and Radnorshire. In 2019, and in my opinion, she is similarly, she is, you know, a bit of an unknown. You know, people don't know who she is. Um, and she's very much on the left of the party as well. Well, precisely. And she's obviously been banging the drum on about federalism a lot, which has come at odds, I think, with Kirsty Williams, people like Mark Williams in, in the Welsh Liberal Democrat Party as well. Um, you know, do you think that the federalist vision will win back Liberal Democrat votes, Chris, in Wales? I'm not sure it will. I think the problem they've had is that people don't really know what they stand for anymore. I think at one stage you could understand where the Liberal Democrats sat in our political system. Mm. And they were sort of a halfway between Labour and the Conservative Party. And they seem to do very well out of that. But I think at the same time they also had leaders who were quite interesting. Paddy Ashdown, um, Charles Kennedy, um, these were people that they they had something about them. And I think also when you look at when they've done well electorally, I think it's also been when they've they've actually stood for something. I mean, their Labour Party suffered, I think, to the Lib Dems on the basis of the Iraq war. Um, the Lib Dems were the only party to stand against the Iraq war. Um, and so I think really if they have proper leadership and they choose which direction to go in it, they could make an impact. I think that the British political system is not necessarily a two-party state, but I think it comes down to ultimately, I think they've actually managed to lose votes because they've come across as illiberal and anti-democratic. Their sort of mad obsession with Brexit, um, that did not seem to fit with being democratic, considering that they might be a pro-European and internationalist party, but at the same time, they don't seem to be able to accept the democratic will of the people. And some of the politics they've espoused recently, um, Leila Moran asked to identify what a woman is, um, and she came up with some sort of wishy-washy answer that was is sort of like a man. Mm. Well, mm. I mean, I think you're right there in a the sense. If they do become the party of woke, they are finished. Um, you know, it may do very well on Twitter, uh, but in the wider electorate, it certainly won't. And for the future prospects, in particular them here in Wales, um, I, I don't see where their future is. I mean, I'm sure Charlie, living in Ceredigion, will see that that their vote utterly collapsed last year in December. Um, you know. The majorities in the former heartlands of Montgomeryshire and Brecon and Radnorshire for the Tories are very, very large and very, very hard to overturn. So I can't see any way back for them here, to be honest with you. 
I mean, I think ultimately the the, the, the gains the gains predominantly Barker. The, the problem with the, the the Liberal Democrats is that they've always had a very strong local vote. You see, they vote in local elections, and they they tend to win mm. a fair number of um, councillors, and they do well in local council elections. The problem with the Liberal Democrats is when they become too almost too ideological, and and, and in that extent, you know, I, I don't think they can go either one or two ways. They thrive on local campaigns. Mark Williams and Kerry Diggin had a really strong local campaign, local presence. Um, so they can't really go in one or the other direction. That's the that's the difficulty for the Liberal Democrats. Um, so they, you know, Leila Moran would have fundamentally killed them off. Um, but I do worry that for them, for their sake, that in Ed Davey, they, they really do lack charisma. And um, I think it will just be a really difficult. And essentially, we've returned to two-party politics in Britain. Um, well, I say, I say in Britain, um, predominantly in England and Wales. Um, it's a fight between the Conservatives and Labour. It's obviously complicated in Scotland. Um, but I don't see a way back for them to uh, wriggle their way in, to be honest. But anyway, that is all we've got time for, folks. That is a, a you know, we try to keep it a bit shorter. I think it's still about 25 minutes or so. Um, thank you very much, Hugh. Any closing thoughts? Thanks. No, I thoroughly enjoy talking. Fantastic. Hope to do it again. <laughs> Chris, any thoughts? No, I think we've uh, covered a lot of ground today. So, um, yeah, onwards to next week. Brilliant. Dial in next week. We've got two podcast episodes coming out next week. Um, so, you know, they're all coming out thick and fast, um, as well as check out our website for uh, more content coming out soon. Thanks for listening. See you soon. For more from the Prodane Review, head to prodane.review on any web browser. Alternatively, check out at Prodane Review on Twitter or Facebook.